Hi, I'm Susan. And this is Diane. And this is When Autumn Comes. Look, life sometimes just looks different than we thought it would. This is a podcast for mamas and for people who love them, whose lives were flipped upside down as a doctor looked into our eyes and explained our child's prognosis. Or for the mamas who get very little sleep as they face symptoms and behaviors that just aren't typical for other children. This is a place where we can take on this journey together because we know that this can be a sad, lonely, misunderstood path. But we also know that as colder temperatures and darker days begin to appear, so do the golden leaves and beautiful sunsets of autumn. We know that life comes in seasons. We know that in our world, 24 hours can hold so much change that it feels like four seasons in one day. We are here to let you share your story, let you laugh and let you cry, let you learn and let you grow, together with other mothers, when autumn comes. We've had a lot of guests on this show that have been strangers to us, but we've also had a lot of people that <laughs> that are very close to us. We've had doctors that have taken care of my kids. I've had medical mom friends, a lot of you actually. I've had my college roommate. But today, I think today is hitting closest to home. No, Benji is not doing the podcast. Today we have my godmother, Lou, who is on the show. She is now a retired special education teacher of 42 years. Not to age you or anything, Lou. Sorry about that. Um, But today we are talking to her about how she saw inclusion change throughout her career. And then stick around. Be sure to stick around to the end of this show because the last 20 minutes she's talking about her passion project, Riverbucks. And it is so flippin' amazing, guys. So I'm, I'm very excited. Meet Lou. I am really excited today, guys. Oh, me too. <laughs> my godmother, Lou, is on the show, and she is a retired, as of this year, retired special education teacher of 42 years. Is that right? Yes. You, you got to talk. They can't see your hands applauding. <laughs> okay. First of all, can we just pause and just take a moment of silence and thanks? for your service to our children. That's amazing. Yeah. That's, I I mean, and 42 years, that's, that's a commitment commitment right there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was even hard then to leave. We have you on the show today, not to talk about all the stories you have of me. We have you on the show today as a retired special education teacher to tell us a little bit about like why you started, how you started. And Diane and I were talking before, like we sent you a couple ideas of questions and then she and I were talking and I was like, oh my gosh, we should ask her that. Like we're talking about like Lorelai and Sayla having friends and like you need to tell us as parents, tell us that your kids had friends in school because we need to hear that. Oh, they do. They did. All of my kids had friends and <laughs> they were um, not just special ed, kids but general ed kids I mean they really took my kids under their wing they were really good to them I mean they my kids had a lot of personality some didn't some did but then the ones with personality sucked in the ones that didn't and kind of got them included in the group but yeah they they had a lot of friends good wow okay let's start from square one yes tell our listeners what led you to become a special education teacher Uh, Well, I had a little brother with Down syndrome, and I was born in the 50s, so back then you didn't have special ed classrooms until I was in high school, and I watched how my my little brother would see us go off to school, and he couldn't go with us, and, you know, and and as I- What was your little brother's name? Bobby. 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 We, we nicknamed him Boo, but uh, his name was Bobby. <laughs> uh, but just as sweet as he could be. And, I, I, you know, I just felt like this is wrong. Why aren't they allowed to come to school? Um, so I knew at a pretty young age, I would probably say by the time I was in fifth grade, I knew then that I wanted to be a special ed teacher because I wanted to change 
all of this because it just wasn't right. I feel like I'm already going to start crying. (laughs) This is so good. (laughs) (laughs) Correct me if I'm wrong. You started with Littles first and then you went to high school special ed? Yes. I started with the little ones, um, five and six-year-olds. And I actually started in a group that would been the more severe and profound kids that, you know, needed diaper changing and all that stuff. And Susan, you know me well, I don't handle that stuff. <laughs> I don't have the stomach for it. Uh, but I was there. I st- stuck with it for three years. And then from there, I went to uh, Deep Creek Elementary and worked with six-year-olds for a couple of years. And then I went to middle school actually intermediate school and was there for two years. And then I went to high school and I stayed there because that was just every teacher finds their niche. And that was my niche, Mm -hmm. that group. I love the high school age kids. By the time the special needs kids get to high school, you really see their personalities pop. And that's what I loved was getting into the individual personalities and I knew that that was where I needed to be, hospital. You stayed there for how long? I stayed at hospital for 34 years. And you taught, you said severely profound. Um, you did teach some kids like Lorelai um, yes. who need a lot of, who have a lot of needs. But then you also yes. taught the lesser severe that could walk and talk and had maybe developmental delays. Yes, yes. And they are all in your classroom together? Yes, they were. So you learn to, and even in hospital, you have all the different levels. I mean, I taught what was considered the intellectually disabled, but I also had kids with autism and kids with sensory issues. So it was, a, you know, you learn as a teacher to, I guess, what do I say, uh, broaden your horizons and learn to deal with each one of the disabilities. You know, to me, I didn't care what disability they had. I just loved them all. What made you fall in love with them? Because, you know, they give you 100% and above effort in everything they do. And you know that everything that they're giving you is the very best that they can do. And all they want to do is please you, please everybody. They want to be friends with everybody. They want to be included with everybody. And I don't know. I just, it really touched my heart. That's, you know. Sorry, I get emotional. Am I crying? <laughs> I know it. I know it's not the same, but Diane, in your household, having two typical kids and Sayla being developmentally delayed, do you see what she just described? Where like the typical kids can be sassy. Not that Sayla's not sassy, but yeah, it's a different Sayla, sassy. Yeah. Um. Yes. The world jades your typical children. They catch on to it. I don't even know if I can describe it, but they are just typical kids navigating this world, making choices because they have a plethora of opportunity and choices to make um, good and bad. They get influenced very easily and they have the opportunity and the ability to do that. Whereas Sayla is just her. Like, yeah, she is sassy. I mean, she butts heads with me. But like Lou said, they give everything, you know, they, all they want to do is do everything that everybody else is. And they give a hundred percent to be able to do everything that they're able to. Um, They're just so special. It's, Mm -hmm. I mean, I love my other children and watching them develop and, you know, praying and hoping that they make good choices. And there's that same amount of love and pride that comes when they do really good things. But there is an absolute stark difference between you know, the special ed or disabled community and the typical community on how they develop. Right. And even though it's minute, that success that they may have compared to your so-called normal children, it's such a celebration when they make that one little step. And people who don't have any experience or aren't around special needs individuals, they don't get it. They don't understand that for, uh, for instance, one of my kids took him forever to understand the difference between a quarter and a nickel because, you know, they are similar in size. They're similar in color. And he just 
had the hardest time. And finally, one day, the light bulb just clicked. It was, oh, I've got it now. And that is very small to anyone else. But to me, it was, oh, my God. We had a huge celebration that day because he finally got it. You know, it's just the small things. They're big successes for our special needs kids. And I think in, I've heard from your stories that, like, your kids in your classroom, they absolutely encourage each other, too. Oh, yeah. All of the students, I'm sure, were celebrating his quarter versus nickel win. Oh, yeah, day. yeah. They, um, they hoop and holler. They clap. Uh, even when we were working on the basic academics, you know, what they could do, because most of my – in fact, all of my kids – could read. Granted, they were anywhere from 15 to 21 years of age. Uh, and the highest reading level I could get some of them to was fifth grade. But still, I mean, the majority of the things in literature, mm-hmm. newspapers, online is written on a sixth grade level. So they can do a lot of things that people don't realize they can do. But when they do make those successes, yes. I mean, if everybody you know, couldn't read a word or something. And I would say, you know, you try to sound it out. And when they would do it, everybody would go, yay, you know, go for it. You got it. You got it. So, yeah, they cheer each other on. That alone. Yeah. And like typical kids, if somebody couldn't pronounce a word and you finally got it, they'd be like, good job, Susan. You finally got your word. <laughs> like, I just feel like there's such a purity There will be no adequate words to describe these special children, right? There just never is. But when you look at, you know, the typical population that just plods along, no matter what age you are, and life tells you this, and you have to do this next, and then you do that, but make sure you don't miss that. You're just running on empty, and you're kind of just moving to the next thing without a lot of thought. Whereas these kids, like, pull you back a little bit because Sayla's not, I mean, maybe she'll read one day, but I am not sending her to kindergarten with the expectation that she's going to learn her colors and then learn her ABCs. And it's like, I am seeing what this child, what world opens up to her and it's simplified Mm -hmm. and it's grounding. And there's so much joy in the simple that I think we miss just kind of plodding along to the next thing in life. There's something so special that these kids bring us to hold us back, ground us. Let's just slow down, take a breath and watch the joy that probably filled your room on the daily. Oh, I love going to work every day. I always said that if I had to teach the general ed population, I would have retired as soon as I hit 30 years. I'd have been gone. Um, (laughs) But every day, I mean, the kids were just happy. They came in happy. We, I had a tradition. We hugged when they came in. We hugged when they, goodbye. That was just a thing. Uh, I always stood at the door, and they, they would walk up, and someone would come up to me and say, can I have a hug? I mean, just the simple things. I'm going to interrupt. You were also the teacher <laughs> who kept a belt or a rope or something at the door, and you're like, dude, <laughs> tie your pants up. Like, don't sag oh. your britches. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you I, gave I was, a hard time too. <laughs> yeah, I did. Um, I was very strict. I didn't put up with the droopy drawers. I couldn't stand it. I didn't um, tolerate disrespect at all to anyone, whether it's to another student or to an adult. The other thing I didn't tolerate was body odor. I couldn't stand it. And high school kids are like, whoo. Um, and I've had parents who, since I've retired, have called me and said, would you please talk to so-and-so because I can't get them to take a bath and now that you're not there anymore. I'm like, really? <laughs> um, but yeah, um, I can't get my 10 year old to take one either. So <laughs> I, I, I haven't to, showered in like a week. So. <laughs> I wanted to get back to what you were talking about, Diane, with um, your, your daughter, Sayla. I had a lot of students that came in that parents, you know, and IEPs and everything said, they could only do this. They could only do that. Uh, and I found it to be totally different. First of all, they want to be just like all of their general ed population that they're friends with. So they watch everything they do. And um, they see that they can read. They see that they can count. They see these things. And then they they want to do it. And so you'll be amazed at what she might be able to do because once she sees everybody else doing it, it's like, okay, I can do this. 
uh, and it, at least attempt it. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's always that hope. I never give up on that hope that a child who a mom says or, you know, everybody else says, you know, they can't do that. They'll never be able to do that. I don't agree. I think both uh, the right encouragement and the modeling that other kids give them, I think they can do anything they set their minds to. Yep. Um, but they've been told for so long, you can't. Yes. And I will say, we, we just got a, an amazing caregiver in our home. You know, it's amazing. First of all, I underestimated how, how badly we needed one. Like my role as a mother versus what a caregiver brings are completely opposite or an educator for that matter. And she made this beautiful book for like matching. And she was like, we're working with a tablet, a talker. And she was like, well, Sayla's starting to know her colors. And I first felt this wave of guilt. Like, excuse me, what? How does she, she doesn't know her colors. How does she, how did I not know she knowed her, knew her colors? And then I just was like, thank God for other people that choose to commit their lives to service for my child because I I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to unlock that. And mm-hmm. I think sending her out into the world, it's risky and it's scary, but it allows for her to be at her full potential. And although, of course, I, you know, when she's screaming and I'm like, you are the most impatient child and you're my sassiest <laughs> kid I have, I think you really are the most patient child because you have so much locked in that mind and that body of yours that you just can't mm-hmm. simply get out yet. And there are so many wonderful people that are ready to help you do that. And I'm so excited for her. And I can't believe with her having the most complexities and, you know, highest needs out of all my kids, I am so ready to push her out the door to kindergarten because I can't (laughs) wait to see what she's capable of because I don't know how to unlock that, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, kids will do more. For a teacher, I hate to say that, then, but and then they will for a parent. And I've had a lot of parents over the years say, well, I could never get them to do that. But yet they will do anything for you. Um, and again, it's the different environment. And also the teachers have a lot of different techniques that we've been skilled in that you, you haven't. Um, and then again, I refer back to the kids in their surrounding that they're around. Um Kids mimic each other, and they want to be. I mean, it's just like my kids. Um, I have, you know, I have a mix of autism, Down syndrome. Um, you know, I just had a, a huge, you know, mix of kids, and the technology teachers were, were amazed that these kids could do cell phones, that they could get on iPads, and they could get all around the internet. I mean, hell, I had some a couple of kids that. I thought, well, man, they're, they're better at this than I am uh, getting around. So they might, <laughs> you know, they might be special needs, but um, again, if it's something they really, really want to learn, they will find a way. They will. Well, mm-hmm. hell, Sayla, Sayla can navigate an iPhone. Oh my <laughs> gosh, can she ever? I have to put it on airplane mode now because she deletes my emails and calls people. And <laughs> so, Lou, I wanted to ask: in your classroom, did students come and go from like some general class, general education classes, to your class, or were they with you all day, every day? How did that work for you? Well, my class was what they call a self-contained class. So, my students would be with me. We had four blocks, ninety-minute blocks. And so some of mine will be with me for two of those, and most of them were with me for three blocks. And then the fourth block, they are navigated to a general ed class, and it could be anything from PE. Now, we did have adaptive business, adaptive technology, adaptive art, adaptive reading. We had different classes that it was still taught by a general ed teacher, but it was watered down. And it was a, they couldn't have any more than 10 students in their class because it was, you know, they're not, general ed teachers aren't trained in special ed. So uh, they didn't quite know how to handle all that. But usually what we would do is uh, those of us who had a teacher assistant, our assistant would go with our students and would be there to assist the general ed teacher to help them. But yeah, they navigate all over and uh, a lot of them are in regular classes if they're high functioning enough uh i had um 
one of mine, mine, several of mine, a couple of mine that were in drama because they were nothing but drama. Uh, (laughs) Drama was the perfect niche for them. Uh, I had a couple that were really artistic. I had a couple of autistic kids that their artistic abilities were just off the chart. I can barely draw a stick person. So they would make fun of me in class. I was trying to draw something on my whiteboard. Um, but they had this amazing talent. So a lot of them have these hidden talents that people aren't even aware of. And I think that's where I'm such a huge proponent of inclusion. Um, because by including them in these other environments that they've never been around, you will see these skills come out of them that you, the parent, didn't know. And the special ed teacher didn't even know. I had some that I had no idea that had the artistic talent that they had. In your 42 years, did you see the way that children were included? Had How did it change? Oh, my. <laughs> uh, oh, man. What a difference. When I first started teaching, it was out of sight, out of mind, pretty much like it was when I was in school. We knew there, I mean, people knew that there were special ed classes in the building, whereas when I was a kid, you, nobody even knew they existed. But we were on a separate hall for the longest time. That was considered the special ed hall. Nobody wanted to go down. Oh, my gosh, we might catch whatever they have. So they wouldn't go down that hallway. But over time, the teachers, especially the teachers, demanded inclusion. And we had you know meetings with it with an admin. Did the parents demand it also, or was it more or less it, the teachers that put it? It was more or less the teachers. The parents, um, a lot of the parents at that time are not well, I can say most of the parents at that time are not knowledgeable like you and Diane are about everything that's available to your kids now. Back then, it was more like we were just a babysitting service for the parent, you know, for them to get a break. Uh, and parents need that much need a break, um, believe me. I, I certainly know that. Um, but it was mostly the teachers. And we were like, okay, look, this isn't right. You can't just stick them on this hallway and forget about them. And even the admin wouldn't come down our hallways. I mean, we rarely saw them. Uh, and it wasn't until over time that the teacher says, we just started bucking the system and said, yeah, this can't happen anymore. So gradually over the years, like when I started at Indian River High School, it was 1987 was that class, that graduating class. Even then, all the special ed classes were in a mobile outside by the tennis courts. So nobody saw us. Our kids didn't go in the building except for lunch, and usually their lunch was separate from everybody else's lunch, so they didn't see anybody. You know, I kept saying, you know, these kids can do, and they can get in that lunchtime and have friends and get to know people because if you've ever seen a Down syndrome child, they are all personality, and they will entertain you. (laughs) And they've just want they're friendly to everybody. But not just that. I mean, the autistic kids were were difficult for them because they're in that little shell and that bubble of theirs. But over time, I even watched them blossom as they were around the gen ed kids. But uh, it wasn't until that went on, that seclusion out in the mobiles up until probably around 2006 when I brought. Are you kidding? Mm Mm-mm. No. I mean, you were either up until that 2006, we were on an individual hallway. That year, things started to change. And they started, they would put, okay, we're going to put some learning disabled classes on this hallway and some ID classes on this hallway and some what's called the cross cap, which is more what Lorelai would be in, uh, on the main hallway where everybody walked by and saw them every day. So little by little, they started moving them around the building. And probably by, I want to say, 2010, 2011, it was totally different at that point. We were spread out all over the place. Um, There isn't a hallway now that doesn't have a SPED class on it. That's awesome. So the logistics of watching the school or program transform is phenomenal. How did you see the gen ed students transform? 
at first they shied away from them, but I don't think it was. I think they were more afraid that, uh, of what to do and how to approach them. Uh, because I know from my experience, I have found that the gentle kids at Indian River were awesome. They so included my kids and all the special need kids and everything. Even um, to the point that our student council association, whenever they had different um, activities going on or they would have, they're making posters for the hallways or they have homecoming and they're making all these posters or they have the floats and everything. They started including our kids in it. They would call them in and say, look, we're doing this at such and such a time. Can your kids come? I'm like, absolutely. And then their kids would get in there and they would come on and say, come on over here and sit with me, man. And then they would paint with them and whatever. And I just stood back in tears and I was like, oh, my God, it's amazing. Something that Diana and I were talking about casually in conversation before you joined was the idea of inclusion being super important. But as a mom, I worry about like, you can't see my air quotes, but superficial inclusion. I mean, I just worry people are including my kid or wanting to include my kid because they have to. Um, At the beginning, yes, it was, including the general ed teachers. They were happy about it at first. And they weren't happy because, again, they were afraid. I would have some of my friends who were gen ed teachers. They would come and say, Lou, it's not that I don't want to work with your kids. I don't know how. Um, I don't want to do something wrong. You know, I'm like, well, that's where I come in. I'm your resource. I'll help you. My teacher assistant will come and help you. We'll guide you through it. And believe me, my kids will tell you if they don't understand something. They're going to ask for help. So, yeah, at the very beginning, the reluctancy from the teacher's standpoint was fear of the unknown and how to work with them. That's fair for everybody in society, I think. I mean, maybe we need to change the conversation. Just I'm just throwing this out there because the thought came to my head as like, what role can we play as the parents of these special needs kids? Right. Like, yes, I certainly sat here and we're like, well, Instead of it being just inclusion, like how do we dive into that inclusion? How do I get other kids to want to be a part of my child's life? However, some kids do and some kids don't just based by sheer personality, right? Like some kids Mm -hmm. are going to be attracted to my special needs child more than others. And maybe that's not, then we shouldn't be calling it superficial inclusion. We should be calling it just like who is, who's Mm -hmm. connecting just like with my typical children, who is who you know strives to be friends with them just based on sheer personality when you were talking about that student council and kids were like hey come sit by me come do this like that to me is amazing that's mm. so exciting for me to know that like these kids are good kids i mean our kids are amazing but these other kids are amazing too yeah um as parents i mean you and Susan are already doing everything you need to do. You're the advocate. You're pushing for change. You're advocating that every their every need is met. Um, I think early on when the kids are younger, you because know, young kids they accept anybody. I mean, think about it. You have to teach them danger, you know, stranger danger because they'll walk away with anybody. So I think if people start at that young age, including like. If you have birthday parties and they have, there are some friends in the neighborhood around their age, invite them to come. You would be surprised. These younger kids, they're very compassionate and they're curious. You know, they want to know. And I think by you as parents, including them at a young age, uh, surrounding them with so-called normal kids um, is the best thing that you could do as a parent because not only does it, help your child say, well, okay, I can be a part of this, but it helps the normal child to say, well, they're not scary. Mm-hmm. You know, they're just like, they might be a little mm-hmm. bit different than me, but you know, they're not something to be afraid of. And I think that's why I've, I've seen the changes mm-hmm. because your generation, Susan and Diane, I'm assuming you're around Susan's age. You are around it a lot more than I was as a kid, obviously. And so you've grown up with that compassion mm-hmm. for 
those who are disabled. Mm-hmm. Uh, where in my generation, we never yeah. saw them. <laughs> so you couldn't. I've seen it. simple things that just blow my mind. Like the adults are the ones who are freaked out by my kid's feeding tube. But then my friend Lauren, right. who's probably listening with her daughter, Gracie, like Gracie was like, So I have a question. And I'm like, Okay, thinking it was going to be like this, like very complex, like why does she eat with a tube kind of question. She goes, so does this mean she has two belly buttons? <laughs> I was like, absolutely. <laughs> like it was just like this. And, and I was like, yeah. yeah, absolutely. And she's like, okay. And went back to playing. Like, I mean, it, it it's just, it's different. <laughs> Speaking to what you were saying about inviting the kids over and just including them naturally. Sometimes I feel like I push Sayla on other kids, but I want them to learn about her and just to be a little bit uncomfortable and try and figure it out a little bit. And I'll give them cues of like, you can touch her wheelchair. If she gets in the way, move her. Don't be afraid if she might get hit by a flying <laughs> wiffle ball or something, well, you know, just because I want them to, I want them to know that, yes, yeah, she likes to play ball. Yes, she will be here move her if she's in the way. But we had some neighbors over. They're really close friends. So they've, you know, been around her quite often. And I was downstairs and I heard the little girl, they were all playing babies upstairs and Sayla was up there. And I heard her be like, Sayla, don't do that. She was like yelling at her. And it made me so happy because I'm like, that's normal. And I am so glad that you feel comfortable to kind of say, you're not doing something that I like. Don't do that. And mm-hmm. so it was so sweet. And I just thought, I'm glad Sayla can experience that normal play. You know, that's normal. Yeah, yeah my kids, um, we had field days you know, there. And we also had, um, every October, we did a thing called Disable the Label Night. And we'd have all these activities. They had a DJ and all these different games. And all of the, you know, the SCA came out for us, but then a lot of their friends came and they were right in there with my kids, dancing, playing the games, shooting hoops. Uh, we had cornhole boards. They were playing and competing against each other. Uh, and they, you know, they were so good to my kids. And, uh, we even had, you remember, I'm sure they had morning announcement mm-hmm. series when y'all were in school. And now they do it on the big, uh, smart boards. And they've even gotten to the point now where they come in the um, and 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 the t-shirt and everything comes in. They're like, okay, we want to include your kids. We want them to participate in morning announcements. I'm like, seriously, really? And like, yeah. I'm like, that shocked me. I'm like, because nobody ever offered to let them do that. And my kids were such hams when they got in front of that camera. I was like, oh my god! I shot away from them. They were like, hey, everybody, it's morning. Now wake up! Oh my God. So, um, I mean, but they would come in and they say, okay, Miss McCain, what, tell us what we can do. How, what can we ask them? What's, let me know if this such and such is over their head. We don't want to embarrass them. You know, we want them, you know, to oh. enjoy what they do. So they always came by and checked with me to make sure, okay, we just want to make sure these are the things we're going to ask them. These are the things we're going to ask them to do. Can they do this? So they always took their feelings. That's amazing. Yeah, to heart that they never wanted to embarrass them in front of everybody. Amazing. So I mean, there are. I'm telling y'all, there's a lot of opportunities for your kids. Don't shy away from them. School is not scary. Anybody that's listening that may not know what to ask, take exactly what Lou just said, and don't be afraid to say we don't want to embarrass them. Can they do this? Mm-hmm. What what can we ask them? So maybe you're an aunt or a grandparent or a friend or whoever you are. Those are the simple things because you don't know. And I I want to stress that as a parent, I don't expect you to know that. But don't shy away from including my child or coming up to my child and having a conversation because you're scared of what question might hurt or if you might offend us in any way. Like I would much rather mm-hmm. you ask those questions. Right. To change subjects just a little bit, because we're already at 35 minutes. I feel like there are some people who are listening and are like, Lou sounds amazing, but my teacher for my kid is not like that. I feel like whether it's IEPs or the process or whatever, what would you tell parents who are jumping into this 
bubble? Like how can parents who maybe feel like their kid isn't seen in school, not just by peers, but by teachers or whatever, like if you had three or four sentences to tell a parent how to navigate this, what would you recommend? I would first of all ask for the accommodation, have it put in your IEP. I want my child to participate in other activities in the school. And if it's in the IEP, then it has to be done. Um, and that's not an unreasonable request. Uh, that would be the first thing I would say, okay, um, if there's any um, clubs or field days or any activities in the elementary school level or whatever, I want my child in that. Yeah, they may not be able to <laughs> I'm do that. I saw down. the notebook come okay. out, Diane. <laughs> um, they may not be able to do <laughs> Yeah, they may not be able to do it, but they can be there and feel like they're a part of it. That would be the first thing I would tell them. I mean, basically, if there is something that you want your child to be in, you can request it at the IEP meeting. Uh, and they will tell you, I mean, if it's if it's an unreasonable thing, they will be honest and say, well, we can't do that. Or if they felt like it was would put your child in danger, like put them in a regular mm-hmm. PE class would be too dangerous, they'll let you know. As far as if you get a teacher that you feel like is not giving your child the attention they deserve. I mean, you can't you can't tell a parent, okay, you go request any teacher you want. You have to be give that teacher a chance mm-hmm. first. But if you have, can prove that that teacher is not pushing your child and not doing the things that you feel your child needs, then you can request another teacher. You can say, look, this isn't working. And I'm, I don't want to, you know, badmouth the teacher and say, well, they're not. Maybe there's just a personality. That, I'm sure it's a very yeah. complex bubble that our kids are in. And yeah. Okay. So my other, I wanted to add growing up with you as my godmother, you went above and beyond, in my opinion. And you can tell me if this is like a high school thing for special education or if this was just something that you pushed. But I remember you being like, hey, Suze. We are, I mean, I must have been in college or something because I don't know how I would have gotten out of school, but you were like, hey, taking the kids to IHOP today. <laughs> you want to come meet us? Or, hey, we're going to the Outer Banks. I'm I'm driving the bus. The kids are on the bus and we are going and I am showing my kids life experience. And and then this evolved to Riverbucks, which I want you to absolutely, because Riverbucks was your passion project of life, I believe. And it's like the equivalent of what When Autumn Comes is for me. And Mm -hmm. you made so many opportunities for these children, which to be fair, some of your children were like a lower income bracket too. And they just didn't have the opportunity to say, go to IHOP. Right. So maybe my kids would be surprised. Most of them had never seen the ocean. And And here we lived right there in Chesapeake, just 20 minutes away I honestly, I don't know any other teachers that did it but me in the high school when it first started out. I mean, you can only teach a child so much in a classroom. They need to get out to and experience life just like the rest of us. And I find I found that they learned more when I had them in real life situations uh, than being in the classroom. And that's what we're once I saw that from taking them on the field trips to IHOP to the Outer Banks and I saw how they just soaked up that knowledge that they learned and they would come back and they would just go on and on about everything they saw and everything they did. And I was like, well, damn, they don't do that when I'm teaching them something in class. <laughs> so I'm like, okay, <laughs> then this is where I need to have them. Uh, so I requested the field trips and I started out with using my own money to pay for the different things and take them out to eat and all that. And then, um, our kids used to go out on what they called work experience program, and they would go out with a job coach once a week for two hours, and they would take them to places like Sam's Club, Food Lion, Farm Fresh, and teach them job skills. Um, that's when, I guess, economy is went completely, and they didn't have the money to continue to pay for the program. So they came to school, and they said, okay, and they got the SPED department. They said, what can we do to continue with this work experience program can we brainstorm somehow what to do and so that's when I came up with the coffee shop that later became Riverbucks it started out where 
it was well it's always been out of my classroom uh and it was just for teachers only and we started out with things like you know the Otis Spunkmeyer muffins and coffee and hot chocolate and uh, fresh fruit and some things, but it was only for teachers. And my classroom was right by the bus ramp. <laughs> How did your kids get the muffins and the stuff? How did the whole, like you took them to Sam's Club to buy stuff for the week? Right. Yes. Um, we would take the activity. I would drive the activity bus. We would go to Sam's. And at the beginning of the year, um, well, let's say all of September was a training period, taking them to Sam's, teaching them where everything was, Teach them how to go through the line. Teach, I even taught them how to use the gun. They scanned everything. Taught them how to use my credit card uh, <laughs> to pop it in the machine. <laughs> I'm like, this might be a bad thing. Uh, just as long as I get my credit card back. I'm Was good. Sam's Club welcoming of this? Oh, yes. They were wonderful. Uh, because some of our kids have already done some job training in there. So they were glad to see them come back. And very, very helpful on teaching them, showing them where everything was. Uh, so we would you know, buy everything we need, load it up, take it back to school. Then that would be on Wednesday. On Thursday, we would do the setup, as we did. I made them, you know, we had long tables. We did the tablecloths. We did everything, taught them how to do that, had a cash register, had real money, um, which that was a huge turning point for my kids because for years, I, all I had to use was play money, and they could never get how to count money because it was fake. I mean, let's be for real. It didn't even look like the real stuff. And once I switched to real money, then my kids started learning how to count money. They wanted to learn how to count. They also wanted to take the money home with them. But <laughs> I was like, nope, I stayed here. Uh, uh, and then so Thursday was set up day, and then Friday we had – River box, and it was my classroom was right by the bus ramp. So when the kids got off the buses, they came in that one hall only, and they would smell the coffee and the hot chocolate. And they would come in and peek their head in my room. Can we buy something? I'm like, no, nah, I'm sorry, I, I can only sell it to the teachers. So what ended up happening was the student council association sent out a petition hmm. all over the school. We had at that time. I'm sure that. That was a Over feeling. 1,800 students in our building. How did you feel when you were oh, like, yeah. the student council is petitioning to like, they want to be part of this? Yeah, I was like, Wait, really? And then that, I was excited about it, but then I started to panic. <laughs> you know, I, all I think was 1,800 kids, 250 teachers we're going to have to serve. Oh, my God. I mean, but. We're going to need a lot of muffins. Yes. At the beginning of River Bucks, I started everything with my own money. I started out with $500. By the time I retired, we were spending fifteen to $1,800 a week at Sam's Club to buy everything that we needed to serve for that one day. But, yeah, so they did that petition, and we had literally 1800 I mean, they got every kid's signature in that building. And Mr. Fry was the principal at that time, and they approached him with it. He came down and said, are you good with it? I said, I'm going to need a bigger classroom. <laughs> so, um, but other than that, yeah, so he approved it. And then it just took off to something that I just never imagined it to be. That was a huge turning point for my kids socially because the general kids started coming in and they would hop out my kids and, hey, man, y'all are doing a great job. And then we ended up going to – the Jimmy Dean sandwiches that they learned to cook and serve. They had to you know, wrap it and full and learn all the techniques of what I said, presentation on the table and then how to correctly serve a customer. Ideas that you, everything has to be clean, sanitized. You know, we wear gloves, the, every, the whole nine yards. And my kids just went like from zero to a hundred in their ability level in no time. And then we had Joe Lynn kids coming in and asking if they could work in Riverbucks. <laughs> Can we work? How do I sign up for this class? <laughs> I'm like, sorry, only for my kids. They can serve you. If I would let them come in and volunteer the last uh, five years, um, I had the SCA approach me and say, Is, can we let some kids come in, you know, once a week and volunteer with your kids? And at first I was against it, and I was like, you know what? You are the big proponent of inclusion. You're going to say they can't come? So we started including them. 
I just didn't want them to take away from the skills I was trying to teach my kids, you know, take over the counting of the money and the serving. So I just made it clear, you can work alongside them, but I want the kids to do the actual counting of the money, giving the change back, and that so that they can, because it is a learning experience. This is part of their education. I don't want you to take that from them. So in the end, my gosh, my classroom was so jam-packed with people who were just working there, not alone the ones that were coming to Riverbucks. And we had a lady, I called her my hall Nazi, uh, because she had to keep all the kids in the hallway under control because they were literally lined up down the hallway to get into Riverbucks. And we were only open from 8 to noon. That was it. So we had that four-hour period to all, you know, over almost 2,000 kids and teachers in and out. Um, so I had to have some somebody to control the noise in the hallway. But, Diane, to go to your question earlier about the inclusion, the teachers were wonderful. You know, they could have said, no, kids can't come because I'm teaching such and such today. But they always made sure that there was time for the kids to go to Riverbucks. And we developed what we called a river buck buck that looked like a dollar bill, but it had the principal's signature, I mean, picture in the, in the middle, and it was worth a dollar. And the teachers would come every week and buy 10 to $20 worth of river bucks to use as incentives hmm. in their classrooms to get the Jolay kids to do the work. You know, they would say, okay, you want to go to river bucks? You have to earn it now. It's not, you know, it's not a privilege. You have to earn it. So you get all your homework done, turn in all your assignments. Yes, on Friday you can go. So it benefited everybody. It benefited the special needs kids, but it also benefited the gen ed kids and the teachers to get them to stay on task. And it wasn't just my students. We brought in the kids from Cross Cat, like Lorelai. I had them, they were out. In the hallway, those who couldn't talk, we developed signs for them that said, welcome to Riverbucks. And they would sit at the door and wave their little signs or their assistants would be next to them and help them raise their arm and welcome to Riverbucks. And then we had some of them at the exit door because I had two doors in my classrooms. They'd come in and go out the other. And they would be at the exit door saying, thank you for coming to Riverbucks with their sign. Or if they could talk, you know, they would high five them or whatever. Um, so, I mean, it just, uh, I tried my best to include as many of the special needs kids as I could in there. We actually had to trade off Fridays because there were just, my classroom just wasn't big enough to fit them all in there. So we would trade off with different teachers, special needs teachers. Okay, so-and-so can come work today. So-and-so can go with me to Sam's Club. I never dreamed when I started it that that would be my what my friends call my legacy, but I guess it is. Have the ones that graduated been able to, I mean, that can be on a resume, I would think. Have they been able to get jobs beyond and say, well, I was able to count money for River Bucks? Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, I've had several kids. I'm working, I've got a couple that work at Food Line. I have um, a young man that works at Sam's. I have another one that works at Why Not mm. Pizza. Uh, and... Um, I have another one who was my, he was my Down syndrome boy that I, uh, was all personality. He works at the YMCA and um, because of his personality, um, I asked them to just give him a chance. I called the lady and I said, you know, I guarantee you it will work out. Your customers, people that come in are going to fall in love with him. He's just loves everybody. So I can remember I was in New Bern with my mother. And the lady called me. She goes, oh, my God, we want to hire him. He is so much fun. Everybody loves him. So now he is the guy that when people come into the YMCA, he scans their mm-hmm. card or their ID badge or whatever. And she goes, do you know everybody knows this child by name? I still call him a child, but he's he's a man <laughs> now. He's 22. <laughs> Um, but in my mind, he's, he's my baby. He's my child. So, yeah, I've had a lot of them. Uh, and I've had a lot of them come to me and ask me to write something for them or for the resume. Can I, can I refer the employer to call you? I'm like, absolutely, anytime. 
I feel like you should franchise Riverbuck. She's talked about it. I'm like, <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I am like, I'm going to put a check mark next to this episode. And in what, f- 15 years, 10 years, I'm walking this right over to our high school and saying, <laughs> we are doing this because, I mean, this brought me to tears because I, I don't want to say everybody in this world underestimates what these kids bring to their lives. They just don't know. And for me as a mom to see that value and that worth mm-hmm. that these kids probably feel like they are running a business. They are running mm-hmm. a business. And I don't know how many of these kids have thought about that. What am I going to do after high school? But even to find a place for my child that can't speak, you know, I mean, all she does is this waves. Hi. Hi. And people just over and over the same people just wave back <laughs> to her over and over. I'm thinking she has a, she would have a job, you know, in high school. And it just, I mean, I was, I was crying. You guys couldn't see me, but it just is so heartwarming and exciting. She could be a Walmart greeter. <laughs> she totally could. <laughs> I mean, seriously, oh. you think about it when you walk into a store and somebody greets you with a smile, how you feel when you walk in. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I was thinking about Diane. When one of the things that I, I, well, I taught my kids, you know, ABCs and all that stuff, and they used to go, "Oh my God, this became. Why do we have to learn this?" Well, um, <laughs> we went to. Um, I, I started signing up my kids to go to the food bank once a month to volunteer. I said, "You, we are going to give back to our community. You will learn something." The first day I drove up, I didn't. When I called them and set it up, I didn't tell them we were special needs class on purpose. Because I knew if I did, they wouldn't give them a chance. So we drove up in the school bus, and my little one that's at the YMCA, that's my happy little Downs boy, jumped off the bus first. And the supervisor came running out as soon as she saw him. And she was like, oh, panicking. She was like, uh, 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 are you sure they can handle this? I said, I'm absolutely sure. I guarantee you, give them a chance. If you don't think they do a good job, you tell me. And we won't come back. But I'm sitting there in the back of my mind. We're volunteers, not like you're paying us. So what the hell? Um, you know, this is this is free labor you're, you're getting. Um, so uh, anyway, we got in there, and the job that they had that first day, uh, all these food line, farm fresh, all these people who donate food, it's all put in these huge cardboard bins, and then they have all of these. Um, Parts all the way around this huge warehouse, and everything was in alphabetical order. As soon as I saw that, I was like, "Yeah, now I can prove why they had to learn the ABCs." Um, <laughs> <and> so, <laughs> so they sorted all the food in alphabetical order, and then they had to take these carts back to the other part of the warehouse, weigh them. So there came in the numbers of teaching them their numbers and how what they all mean. They had to weigh it, write it down, carry it back to put on the trucks that would be shipped out. And then they also had to look at the cans. You know, some people donate stuff that's out of date. So they had to make sure it wasn't in. So anyway, at the end of that day, we were there for three hours. We volunteered three hours once a month. And we were loading the bus. And that same lady came running out and said, uh, 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 Mr. McCain, can y'all come once a week? They did great. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I looked at my assistant and I said, see, uh, if, if people would just give them a chance. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, we couldn't come once a week because of Riverbuck. Because it, it was just. I was going to say, you're too, too busy running a business. <laughs> <laughs> no, we couldn't do that. But we made sure we did it. You know, and, and then they ended up giving my kids a huge plaque and award last year for what they called the Helping Hands for their volunteer work, though. So that, they came to the school, made a huge assembly out of it, uh, and they brought in all the general ed kids, and they cheered them on as they called them up on stage. So it was good. That's amazing. You are a longtime listener, first-time guest, so you know what's coming next. Lou, what gives you hope? That people continue to include our special needs population in everything that they do, whether it's fun activities, work, anything. And like I said, I have watched it change 
over the last 42 years. So I can only imagine what the horizon has for us. You know, now that your generation, who is more understandable and more knowledgeable uh, of, you know, and pushing and advocating for your kids. Um, you know, I just can't imagine what, what else is out there for them. Um, but yeah, that is my biggest hope is that everybody continues to include them and treat them like we treat each other. They're human beings. They, they want love. They want attention. They want to, a purpose to get up in the morning like we do. You know, a person, purpose to get up and go to work, go to school, to do whatever. They need that purpose in life just like we do. My hope is that your generation will continue on to advocate for your kids and to make sure that they're accepted everywhere and included everywhere because it's up to your generation now. But you two don't give up. They're going to be You're wonderful like, teachers. I'm out. I'm retired. Along the way. I'm out. <laughs> 42 years, uh, well, I'm done. Now always, we won't let you down, Lou. Uh, Suze, I'll, you we know, won't I'll let always you down. be there for you and Lorelai and Benji whenever you need me, honey. Um, you just haven't I needed know. me. I mean, I'm, you have been amazing. You're an amazing mom. And Diane, just listening to you, I can tell you are an amazing mother. Uh, I admire both of you. Because, you know, with me, I could go to work and then I could go home. Y'all can't do that. And so you're with it 24-7. And that is a tough job. Has seeing what I've gone through with Lorelai and now Benji, has that kind of broadened your... I mean, you had a brother with Down syndrome. But, like, have... have Right. Have seeing what we've gone through and listening to our podcast and listening to other mothers, has that kind of resonated at all or made you think beyond the classroom? Yes. Um, I mean, more so. I, I was much aware after seeing what my parents went through, my little brother, what it takes as a parent to raise a special needs child. Again, that was different because at that time they had to put him in Caswell because we were starting to mimic him. And we were regressing as children and they had to make that tough decision. And that was their only choice during that time. But watching y'all and listening to your podcast, I mean, I'm in tears most of the time I'm listening to your podcast. I, I'm, I'm just, oh my God, you know, they just 24-7, they don't get a break. and Everybody needs a break. I mean, you you can tell by listening to the two of you how much you love your children. And Susan, quite honestly, honey, I remember sitting, I'm down here at the river, you know, I am sitting on that dock with you when you were like 11 or 12. And Leslie was being a brat that day. And according to you, and uh, you looked at me and you said, I am never <laughs> having children. <laughs> ever, ever. Uh, and I'm like, and now I look at you with these two wonderful special needs kids and what a wonderful mom you are with them and how good you are with them. You could be a teacher. You both could be teachers because it really takes growing up with a special needs child to get that compassion and that fire in your belly to make a difference. Y'all just amaze me. Um, and I just admire both of you and every special needs parent out there. Um, just Keep fighting for them and don't give up. Well, but keep, always remember. Well, we thank you so oh, much. Man, I thank y'all. I loved, I loved it. So what did you think of my godmother? I don't even know if I have words. You that guys was... can't see. Sorry. You guys can't see Diane's face throughout this, but like, I'm pretty sure you cried the entire episode. Not quite the entire, but it just, there's so much hope, which is maybe a little redundant to say, but we see so much in our kids. And then we also see what the world says of our kids, you know, or thinks of our children or the lack of contribution. And it's special people that just choose this, like they choose and then they see it and then they bring them into the world and show the world this. It's just so heartwarming and just a testament to like, I cannot do this on my own. Like I could never do this on my own. It's not me that is 
quote unquote, doing it every day when everyone says, how do you do it every day? It's me and it's a Lou and it's a therapist and it's a grandparent and it's like the community. Your caregiver. It might bar Miss Barham. It's everybody. Mm-hmm. Like that's who's doing this every day just to be able to keep pounding into people's heads how incredible these kids are and that this world would not be the same without them. They are so valuable. So I just, I I can't express like how appreciative I am of Lou for serving like her community the way she did. Yeah. Well, this is Susan and I am going to probably head to the river and meet Lou for a drink now. Oh, really? This is Diane and... I'm going to buy a plane ticket and come with you. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, don't forget, we have the When Autumn Comes Society. It is a great place for you to join us in conversations about everything podcast related, but also, you know, random things. I don't know what your favorite celebrity crush is. Maybe we should add that to our list or not. Um... When Autumn Comes Society is on Facebook. You can also, it would be so excellent and so, so kind of you if you liked this podcast, if you shared it, if you gave us five stars, if you left a review, that helps other people find us. And we want as many people to find this podcast as possible so that we can help other moms and families know that they are not alone in their journeys. Thank you guys for being here and we'll catch you guys on Friday.